The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We'll just jump right into it. Rob Christofferson is here from Our Strange Skies podcast. And I always like to have you refresh my memory how we connected. Obviously, I think it was on Twitter, but did, how did yeah. that come about? I don't even remember. So uh, I've long had a dream for Our Strange Skies because I've been a fan of professional wrestling for like a long time since right. I was like nine years old. And I sent out a tweet and I'm like, this is my dream list of wrestlers to have onto this podcast to talk about UFOs. And I mean, like there's there are some that are obvious. You could have Chris Statlander on. That'd be a perfect guest for it. <laughs> right. I tell her UFO stories. That's that's fine. Even even um, Claudio uh, would be perfect because he has the UFO. But uh you uh, DM me and like, why don't you come on talk as Jericho? I was like, hell yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> well, great. Well, we uh, yeah. got together here, and obviously you are a UFO expert and always looking for kind of different angles on on the different tales that you can tell. And you had something very interesting just kind of right out of the gate talking about how aliens have basically changed over the years. And that to me is something that I'd like to delve into here today and really kind of get into that because – Obviously, you know, when you're first hearing about aliens, it's it's the little green men. And then there's kind of like the, like you, as you're going to talk about the communion, Whitley Stryber, black eyes and the white kind of thin face. But kind of start into how all of this has changed and the perceptions of what exactly a lot of these creatures did look like, uh, what they have been looking like lately, and if there's something kind of growing for the future. Today, when people think of aliens, a lot of the time they'll think of uh, greys, which are, you know, come great from the cover of Whitley Strieber's Communion. They have the large almond shaped black eyes. Uh, and there's like a tiny handful of other aliens like reptilian aliens or tall blonde aliens or mantis beings, which uh, if you have ever seen Brad Abraham's documentary love and saucers they're kind of the voyeurs of the alien world they'll stand in the corner and they'll just observe for a while but when it comes to the sightings before that they were all very different there is a, a lot of diversity in the sightings that you have uh so much so that like you can actually look at the history books and, and point to a specific time when things started to change so 
when you talk about the first and, and we call them humanoids most of the time because they don't always come from ufos sometimes they're just kind of seen out in the wild people have just like random encounters but for some there have been reports of 10 foot tall cycloptic monsters you have the mothman which didn't necessarily come from a ufo but was reported around the time that there was a lot of UFO activity in like Point Pleasant and stuff like that. Then you can look at, um, say, Venezuela in 1954. A lot of residents in Venezuela started reporting short, hairy humanoids that kind of looked like shorter versions of Bigfoot. So there's like a diverse bag. And one, one resource that I like to point people to, and anybody who's listening to this right now can, uh, type this into Google, uh, just Google Joe Nichols alien timeline. And it gives you a great breakdown of how different these aliens looked until you get to on the timeline, it says 1990. But the, the point in which things start to become a little more homogenous is 1987. There's two landmark books that come out. Uh, the first is Whitley Strieber's communion and what people really connected to was the cover image and the cover image is by a guy named Ted Seth Jacobs. And it's kind of what we see the gray as and on the cover is the being that uh, Whitley Strieber says he was kind of like his quote unquote handler when he was being abducted, just like the, the main alien that he dealt with. And, ju- and just as a quick segue, Rob, so, yeah. so the communion is Whitley Strieber wrote this book in 1987 yep. claims within it that he was abducted by these almond shaped eye humanoids. Yes. Yeah. He, um, by this time, Whitley Strieber is a pretty well-known author in 1987. He's written a lot of horror books. He's had a couple adapted into films. So for a guy like this to put out a book like that was a bombshell for a lot of people. The other book that came out around this time, uh, is a book called intruders by a guy named Bud Hopkins. And together, these two, kind of like invented the mythos of the gray so that's kind of what you get in the world now and really the x-files took it and like took it to a whole nother level put it into this pop culture sense to the point where like your modern conception of the alien is like a gray face being green in color most of the time that's that's how you see it but yeah before that these aliens just looked so drastically different every single time that they were seen so when you're looking at joe nichols alien timeline you sent it to me it's very interesting because it's kind of a cartoon version of all these different you know it starts in 1947 when the flying saucer craze begins this is the little green men Mm -hmm. and then there's the flatwoods monster and there's goblins and there's cyclops and three-eyed giants and mothmen etc etc bigfoot and then like you mentioned there's even the reptilians I, I guess what I'm asking you is, and once again, coming at this from from the devil's advocate point of view, mm-hmm. to me, I completely believe that there is life forms out there in the galaxy. I'm not uh, human beings are so egotistical to think that we're the only living things in in the, in the world or in the whole you know galaxy. But is there a lot of imagination going on here with these people? Like when you mentioned, obviously Whitley Strieber, he's writing horror novels, and he happens to get abducted. Seems a little sketch. Right. You know, and also, too, with all these different types of aliens, like, why is there such a varied version? I'm, is, there, is this imagination or do you really think that all of these species have visited us at one point in time or another? Well, that's the thing is like when you when you 
look at the different theories as to what they can be. Are these extraterrestrial? And, you know, there are other theories such as John Keel, the guy that wrote the Mothman prophecies, which, you know, pretty much put Mothman on the map. He believed in the theory uh, called the ultra-terrestrial theory, which is the idea that these beings come from some other dimension or something similar to that. Like, they somehow have the ability to come to our three-dimensional realm, if you if you want to put it that way, and uh, and appear to these people. But there's also another interesting theory called the co-creation theory, which is the idea that when these beings manifest, they use kind of an image in your head of what you may think aliens look like, and they appear to people like that. So when you look at this timeline, it doesn't really support the idea of extraterrestrials per se, but it's the idea that they may come from someplace else that we have no idea about, like at all. So like, yeah, it it just doesn't really support the idea of like extraterrestrial life as much as we may want to think it, it does because like now you have this like streamlined version of what aliens are. So this version makes it seem like they must be coming from someplace else. It seems like these things go go in waves, and we'll talk about what's going on with the government right now with UFOs. But mm-hmm. have there been abductions reported recently over the last five, ten years? No doubt that there are. But what you see in in the shift with how these reports come out and how these like books come out is with the investigators themselves. We don't have like the big name investigators doing this anymore, and a lot of the investigative work is done by UFO groups who don't share their information as freely as they like to maybe think they do, such as like MUFON, New Fork, the National UFO Reporting Center, that's Peter Davenport's outfit. But the individual investigators, they're there, but these cases also don't really have a central place where they're where they're published anymore they're like you can find them on the internet and stuff like that but the ufo journals and stuff of the years before they're not there anymore there's a lot of things have changed so they are being reported it's just they're not being totally shared as much on the internet or at, at least you know they don't have that central spot that uh, a lot of old cases come from and why do you think that is it's a good question And it's one that I've had for a long time. And it might just be the way in which these UFO groups have kind of taken over UFO investigation and stuff like that. But uh, it just seemed like after the 1980s, a lot of those old UFO investigators started dying. And a lot of people just didn't step up in their place. Or if they did, their research is not as easy to find. But there, I mean, there are some people that are putting their stuff out there. Like uh, today, if you want uh, humanoid sightings, Albert Rosales is your guy. He has a ton of books that that document the stuff breaking down year by year. And uh, you can you can find those easily. Yeah, a lot of those big named investigators just aren't there anymore. And it's a shame that we don't have that. But it's it's weird because you know, we do have the internet. And it's easier to connect that way. But at the same time, those cases aren't coming to like a forefront or anything like that. Yeah. I always think about stuff like that and how the world has changed and how like, even though, you know, there's so much more availability, shall we say, everybody has a phone, you know what I mean? Everybody can, can take a picture or take a movie at any time. 
you would think that there's be a multitude mm-hmm. of sightings and things, but it, it really doesn't go that way. But they still happen. But it's just it, it, it really, you know, it's, it's like whenever I have we do true crime on the show and we talk about serial killers, and there's really no serial killers nowadays. But then they'll say, well, there's so much, so many more mass shootings, which is instead of a serial killer killing 30 people over two years, they kill them all at once. Right. It's the same thing with, with alien sightings. It's the same thing with, with Bigfoot sightings or lake monsters or any of that sort of thing. It comes and goes in waves. And right now it's not really happening. I wonder if it's because there's such an information overload, it kind of gets overlooked. Well, one thing when it comes to UFOs specifically right now and, you know, this particular topic is connected to that there's been this like great reset yeah is what i call it let's talk about that yeah in 2017 this new york times article comes out glowing auras and black money helen cooper wrote it along with ralph blumenthal and leslie kane it documents this program that was allegedly part of the dod called atip and uh the guy that was in charge of it lou elizondo he came forward proclaiming his involvement with it. We know that Robert Bigelow was involved in it. This billionaire guy who throws money at UFO research and has for decades. Uh, He started in the late 90s. Uh, He formed the National Institute for Discovery Science, who were the first investigators on the Skinwalker Ranch. They went and formed another group who did do some study on the ranch for the government did some other stuff too. They start, they tried to do uh, something called the star team in MUFON, which was like action ready investigators that were going to be Johnny on the spot when it came to like really big UFO sightings. When that article gets published and you have these stories about military pilots having these encounters, the focus suddenly shifts to military encounters and that's what it's been since 2017 a lot of people have been looking to the military to get answers as to what's going on here and and i don't think that they're necessarily going to get those answers from the government in any way and when you go dive into the history of this stuff it's bigger than the government when you only include those military pilot sightings and military personnel you're kind of cutting out a whole swath of people, a much larger swath of people who have had these encounters. So the discourse on, say, like social media with a lot of this is military encounters, what Lou Elizondo knows, what everybody else knows, and to a lesser extent, what uh, Tom DeLong's To the Stars uh, Academy of Arts and Sciences, which was founded a little bit before that article came out and played a role in all this. Tom DeLong brought a bunch of personnel from former government officials brought in Lou Elizondo and they were going to do some pretty major stuff that never really ended up materializing other than a couple of a few books and some TV shows. So our image of what UFOs are now is like a very minuscule. It's a, it's a myopic view of, of what they are and what they have been. It's very interesting that you mentioned Tom DeLong. He is kind of one of the modern day, researches and obviously mm-hmm. you know a huge rock star from blink 182 but he really has asserted himself as kind of one of the go-to pundits yeah. on ufos and aliens in this day and age yeah he has and uh been a been a fantastic advocate and his books are uh, pretty fascinating on their own like uh he's written two non-fiction books two fiction books uh with his kind of beliefs on 
what UFOs and stuff are. And like, he has been a great mainstream voice. He largely hasn't played a role in UFOs for a few years now, you know, and I mean, he's out touring with Blink-182 again, so there's no telling if he's, you know, going to get back into that sphere or anything like that. But uh, he did kind of put UFOs on the map there for a little bit. And now you'll get uh, press conferences about the DOD and their their program to kind of look into this stuff. And I don't want to say the interest in UFOs is kind of dying down now, but like, I don't think the interest was there that it was at the beginning, at the late 2017 when that article came out either. Well, but there's also too so much going on with the government kind of inquests into the UFOs and UAPs, as they call them now. It's kind of the new name because it's not an unidentified flying object now. Right. It's a unidentified aerial phenomenon. So what do you make of that? I, mean, I want to go back to kind of the history of the abductions as well. But before we get there, it seems like every couple of months there's a new kind of government uh, query into, you know, what's been going on. So what do you make of that and why are they doing this now to where it's just become a thing? It's received enough attention to where it's warranted, where it's getting enough attention. And I think they recognize the need for something like this. But at the same time, there's this image that people have when talking about UFOs. They don't think of like foreign technology, which is what the government is mostly thinking of, you know, human made foreign technology, people automatically jump to the alien belief that these, that the government has to know more about this stuff. Like it has nothing to do with like foreign weapons or anything like that. So you have these two images that are kind of held side by side and they're very far off from where the government is and where other people are when it comes to, getting into the idea that these things are alien technology. But I think there's just that dividing line, that huge dividing line between those two groups. And it fuels a lot of, you know, speculation, uh, especially, you know, we had these stories about the shooting down of Chinese spy balloons and stuff. That was a big thing in the UFO community. It's like, oh, why are they shooting all of this stuff down now? And it's like, well, if you're taking a little more caution, you're going to probably shoot down a few more drones that belong to civilians because, you know, you're kind of on alert. But it's just that dividing line, what side people see themselves on. I think it's important for the government to look into objects that are coming into our space, be it, you know, wherever they come from. Like, that's definitely important. But I think when push comes to shove and they finally, you know, get to a point where they release their findings on what these objects are, I think it's going to be a disappointment to a lot of people who want to think that they are something else. Do you put any credence into the theory that they're trying to get us all used to hearing about UAPs and UFOs so that when the big reveal comes, we're a little bit more weaned into this? It's an interesting theory, but I don't think so. Like, you know, uh, they call it drip, drip disclosure, this like slow disclosure over a period of time. But it's like, when you think about it, aliens have been in our pop culture for just a long, long, long time. Yeah. Every now and then you'll see like the Vatican come out and say, well, you know, we believe that there's alien life out there or, you know, we're open to the idea of alien life and stuff like that. And I think now more than ever, uh, especially with a lot of scientists and scientific communities like, oh, yeah, there's got to be alien life out there. You know, it's just 
there's no way that uh, we're alone in this universe. It's egotistical to think that. So like, I've never been a big subscriber to that kind of trip, trip disclosure kind of stuff. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Well, let's talk about more about the abduction because you said that you, you wanted you mentioned the history of the abduction phenomenon, kind of the whole story. But let's talk about the uh, abductions when they started. And I know there's some really interesting cases that you wanted to bring up and talk about. And I want to hear all this, all that you got. Yeah. So uh, when it comes to abductions, it's it's this kind of really unique aspect to this entire phenomenon because it's like, hey, aliens just like pop down and they just like grab you, put bring you on their ship and they do experiments and stuff on you. And like there are inklings of it in kind of like past writings and stuff like uh, one of the earliest in the Americas is in the um, the journal of Puritan governor John Winthrop. There's a story of a man named James Everell. And this is in March of 1638. He's on the muddy river with some friends and they were, I believe, fishing at the time. They see this bright object over them and it keeps going like back and forth over a period of time. And like every time it moves over them, they said it looks like a glowing luminous pig, basically flying in the air. At the end, when this object finally takes off, they realize that two hours have gone by and it doesn't feel like that so you kind of have that missing time kind of element which is a key factor in in abduction cases and they were also floating against the current which was very strange so like you have these inklings in earlier writings but one of the earliest in the modern area is from a uh, british columbia newspaper called the prince george citizen this uh the editor ron powell there's a guy that comes into his office this is yeah, December 1957. And he has this story. And it's just this incredible story about essentially how he was um, abducted, taken aboard this uh, flying saucer. He was serving with the occupying army in Austria at the time, who was, they pulled out, I want to say, in like July of 55, somewhere around there. So we were there for quite a while. And his job was basically to like, drive one officer back and forth kind of really just a mundane job and there's one night he just stops his vehicle and there's there's this rustling in the brush and this being comes out and if you look at joe nichols timeline again the image under 1951 that's what that being is right there okay gotcha yeah so this being comes out of the brush and it has uh, what we call now like a wand so he has this wand, he points it at him, and he paralyzes him. Walks over to him, and he attaches this like metal plate to his chest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and with this wand, he kind of just drags him around. It's kind of like a leash in a way. <laughs> so <laughs> he, he drags him onto his UFO, sits him down, and he takes this journey all the way to what he believes is Mars. And when he's on Mars, he sees these beautiful fields of like red and gray and and just all sorts of 
modern cities and stuff like that and beings that look like him. And this being is, he looks kind of like a gray. He has big eyes. Uh, he's kind of wearing this silver suit with a helmet on. The one thing that he said about his eyes, which is, oh God, it's creepy thinking about it. It's kind of like a flat eyes. So you see like the honeycomb pattern in the eyes, just creepy. But uh, he brings him to this place. This alien gets out, leaves him in this UFO for about 10 minutes, comes back and just takes him back to Earth. That's the whole story. <laughs> Doesn't do anything with him. Just takes him to his planet and then brings him back. At the time, like these stories, nobody was printing stories like this. The Betty and Barney Hill abduction, which is like the one of the most famous abduction cases from, you know, the annals of UFO lore goes back to 1961. And this is, you know, before that, the um, the date of his abduction is 1951. And what's interesting is that there's actually two abductions from that year. Another abduction of a of a black man named Harrison Bailey. <laughs> he had a he, he had this hobby. He had this big green tractor tire and he liked to advertise things. So he would just basically roll it from one town to another. And during one of these trips, I think it was to advertise a baseball, his favorite baseball team. They didn't have a good season, but he's just like, let's go get them next year. Let's do it. (laughs) So he's rolling along and he sees in the middle of the road. The best way to describe it is a anthropomorphic frog holding a stick. Oh, wow. Yeah, he basically rushes him and he kind of loses a little bit of time. He makes it to the next town later than he should have. He's missing a few hours. Yep. These two cases in 1951, they kind of, they're not very well known until much later, but like these early cases are very unique. They're very different. And when you look at a lot of the abduction cases throughout that early history, your abductors are not greys. Even Betty and Barney Hill's abductors, they're not really greys. They're kind of grey-like, but the defining feature of a grey to me is the almond-shaped black eyes. That's what your standard definition of a grey includes. And over the years, you would get sparse reports of abductions. So the next famous one is of a guy named Herbert Shermer. He's a police officer in Ashland, Nebraska. And he's on patrol at the beginning of December 67. And he comes across a UFO has about a missing time undergoes hypnosis. And the story comes out that he was taken on board by these uh, relatively human looking aliens. They had like cat like eyes, which was, you know, very arresting feature of them, but brought him on board their ship. And they just basically just showed him around and they said something like very prophetic, which was they kept calling him watchman because he was a police officer. Like, are you the watchman of this town? Yeah, I'm the watchman. (laughs) He says, watchman, you will see the universes as we have seen it. From there, you have abductions involving short little men with long beards. There's actually a picture of them in the timeline under 1969, that bearded man. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, there he is. Yeah, he, uh, that's the uh, abduction of uh, Jose Antonio da Silva. He was sitting in Brazil. He was just fishing on his day off. <laughs> the, the thing about these stories is they're absolutely absurd. So <laughs> he was nabbed. They were wearing these kind of spacesuits at the time, but he's taken on board this 
It's a trash can shaped UFO. <laughs> Looks very small. And he's taken to a room where there are other beings like this. They take off their helmets and they, you can see that there are these short men with long beards. And on the wall is a mural. And this mural, it looks like he's in a pediatrician's office because it has like cars and trucks and things that you would see like in a pediatrician's office to entertain kids. And this being's trying to communicate with him and he's got a, a stick and he's drawing shapes on the floor. And he comes to believe that these aliens want to do an intergalactic arms deal with him <laughs> and, and them and that they want him to go stay with them in a while, like a almost like a like an exchange program in, in many ways. But like there's like a lot of absurdity wrapped up in these in these cases. There's a case of a guy named Lee Parrish, who's a 19 year old kid in Kentucky. He gets abducted goes through hypnosis, which, you know, is, is kind of your own mixed bag, uh, if you want to, you know, depending upon how you feel about it. But he tells a story about how he was brought on board and he was abducted by machines. One of them is a 20 foot tall black wall. One of them is kind of the shape of like, um, you know, you go into like a convenience store nowadays and you see those like small kind of Coke coolers where you can grab a soda right by the counter. And then there's one that looks like an over large adding machine. And they basically like do tests on them and then send them back. But like, they're all very different up until you get to the 1980s when, and then largely our view of it again is shaped by the cover of communion, the book communion, but it's largely shaped by Bud Hawkins, who is like one of the most prominent abduction researchers. He did this stuff up until uh, his, his dying breath. He was uh, actually a, a New York artist that got into this subject and basically kind of wrote and presented this very narrow minded view of what abductions are because they became the greys and these mantis beings and, and stuff, these same types of figures that would abduct them over and over again. But like the annals of UFO lore are filled with much stranger abduction cases than now. Like when people talk about them, they seem like a doctoral procedure of some kind. They're brought in, they're put on a table, they're experimented on and they're brought back. But uh, yeah, this, things have changed a lot over the decades. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What kind of experiments were these people having done on them? Is there examples of those? So a lot of what you get now are like kind of your standard medical procedures. Sometimes they take blood. Sometimes they take, you know, bodily fluids, whatever kind of bodily fluids that they mention. They uh, kind of use like x-ray type machines at certain points. They have little, they have certain gadgets that they poke and prod people with. There are some that claim that they use like one of the most ridiculous cases that you'll ever come across is the case of Ed Walters and the Gulf Breeze incident, which is 
basically a series of, of, of abductions over his life. <laughs> he's, when you think about him, and when you read his story, he's like the all-American abductee, like, resistor. He's just this, like, uh, guy that's like, you're not going to take me. <laughs> it's un-American. He literally <laughs> says that in his book. <laughs> He's like, he says something to the effect of, ask me to come along, but treat me like an animal, treat me like a dog. I won't have it. It's un-American. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but in his abductions, there aren't any medical tests. Basically, what the aliens do is they hook him. They put this, like, machine on his head, and it kind of goes through memories in his life and there are other like undeveloped aliens that are attached to it it's part of their development process mm. <laughs> so you you have that kind of weirdness but yeah most of the time it's just medical experiments but like in the case of jose antonio da silva apparently some ma- aliens just wanted to make an arms deal you know and and just come away with some you know guns or something <laughs> lasers obviously right yeah i was laughing at how you're like you're laughing just telling these stories. So do you believe all of these stories that you hear and that you tell, or is there a human element of exaggeration that you uh, think is taking place here? There's always going to be some human element of exaggeration, you know, definitely takes it out of the realm of believability. But when it comes to these cases, it's the absurdity that kind of makes them believable because there's a certain level of logic that we have that we operate with that there's a point from, you know, point A to B to B to C to D that these things should follow. And I'll give you an example. For instance, I recently on, on my show, I covered an incident called it's called the pretzel CE three case. It's also called the night visitor case, but this woman, her name was uh, Maria Alodia pretzel. She lived in Via Carlos Paz, Argentina. And she was, her family ran, ran this, um, motel, Motel La Cuesta. And you can still stay there now. It's called Hotel La Cuesta. But in June of 1968, she's closing up one night. As she's doing so, she sees this blue light in the dining room of this motel. So she, uh, goes out and, you know, just check and see maybe it's a guest or something like that. And there is this man floating in her hotel who um how best to summarize it looks like he's doing david bowie cosplay is the best way that i can do it he's wearing this like skin tight outfit he's got slick back blonde hair he's got like what i call a small disco ball in his left hand that's like shooting out lights (laughs) and in his right hand he kind of has this like ring on his finger and he's got light coming from his fingertips he's got light coming from his finger toe from his toes and she's just like paralyzed she doesn't she finds herself like holding on to a counter doesn't know how she got to this counter just assumes that she was pulled there so this being is speaking to her telepathically saying don't be afraid don't be afraid don't be afraid he he proceeds to lift his right arm and when he does she starts to fall backwards in slow motion to the point where she gets about like 20 centimeters from the floor and then she comes back up and then once she's fully standing again she starts to fall on her right side and then back up. And then this being, you know, eventually turns around and leaves. And it's like, if someone's making up that, it makes no sense. It, it's it's not in the realm of human logic. Right. So despite how weird and absurd these seem, they don't fit 
a general pattern most of the time that you would think that would in an instance when people would think that, you know, a more logical kind of story would make sense. It, it seems to be the absurdity that lends a little more credence to some of these stories. Like who's going to believe that a guy fishing was taken to do a, an intergalactic arms deal. Who's going to believe that? Okay. So <laughs> one of the strangest ones that I haven't mentioned is from 1971 and it's on the timeline too. You can see the, the figure. It's not really a figure. It's a brain. So <laughs> this guy named John Hughes, he, uh, he was a UFO investigator. So take that for all that you will. He was leaving a friend's house one night with another friend of his. He gets out to his car, turns on his headlights. And in the headlights is a giant brain sitting in the middle of the road. <laughs> the brain tells him, hey, go take your buddy home. We're going to abduct you. <laughs> so he does. And in his driveway, he proceeds to have an abduction experience. The thing is, is like his brain is large and it has a red light on it. And the red light is, <laughs> is because it's getting older it's it's basically in the process of dying. So it's like basically got cancer, uh, in other words. But they take him to the ship and he has uh, he sees like a bunch of images of like nuclear destruction, stuff like that. And he's ultimately returned home and he kind of comes away with this pessimistic view. But it's like even for a UFO investigator, you're making up a hell of a story <laughs> to say that. But like, yeah, the absurdity is is what brings credence in my mind to these stories because there is always going to be a set of logic that human beings use in their stories that gets them from a to d and a lot of these stories just have very strange elements to them that lend a bit of credibility to them last abduction question for you you wrote a note here and i'm not sure what exactly you meant talking about the earliest abduction uh that predated barney and benny hill and then you also mentioned the Antonio Boas abduction. It's a fascinating story. Mm -hmm. Which is the fascinating story? The first sighting or the Boas abduction? So we've talked about the, the first sighting, that, that guy that was in Austria. Yeah. Um, V.S. Boas is, is interesting um, because I think V.S. Boas is the only one that you can kind of point to that may be like a black ops kind of operation. Right. So Antonio V.S. Boas... This is in October of 1957. He has a couple of sightings of UFOs on his family's property. Um, and there are other members of his family that saw these objects, too. He worked at night most of the time. Around 1 a.m., he's plowing the family field because, I mean, it's Brazil. It's hot as hell down there. So especially where they are, like, uh, this is uh, near San Francisco de Salas, which is kind of southern Brazil. He's out there and he sees this light and this light gets closer and it gets real close to the point where he just like jumps off that tractor and tries to run for it. So this object lands and there are a bunch of beings that get out and bring him on board. There's like no light beams. He's basically just kidnapped by five beings brought on board. He's on this UFO for about six hours. Maybe it's it's a, it's quite a while, but he's taken into a room, stripped naked. They apply some kind of substance to his body, like just completely coat him in it. And he's brought into this one room where there's like a gas pumped into it and he starts to get sick. And a short while after that, a naked woman comes in. She 
looks mostly human, except for I think he said her like eyes and forehead were like very they're different. They're like bigger. Um, her eyes were like a little bit bigger. And they have sex like two or three times. Actually, I think it was two times. She rejected him the third time. <laughs> he has that happen to him. He hangs out on the ship for a little while. He tries to steal like a clock. It's on a counter. And then these beings just basically tackle him and take it back from him. But like they show him around the ship a little bit. They show him the outside. They walk him around the outside. And uh, eventually he's just let go. He goes back home. He's sick for a little while, too. Like he has um, suffered from fatigue and stuff like that. But the case was investigated in early 58 by members of the Aerial Phenomenon Research Organization. It was one of the prominent organizations from about the 50s until early 80s when they kind of closed up shop. This case, the investigators don't believe him for a second, but the case, it gets written up and there's a guy named Dr. Walter Bueller who hears about it, goes to find Antonio Villas-Boas and he starts writing about this case and it starts to become a little more well-known. Like the first uh, iterations of it, like UFO journals kind of predates Betty and Barney Hill by a few months until it becomes this like really big thing. It's kind of seen as like the earliest, even though there are like, we've mentioned a couple of earlier ones, but like in the seventies, I think the late seventies, early eighties, there's a guy named Bosco Nedeljkovic who comes forward and says, it was the CIA. The CIA did it. The CIA did this to this man. And it's just like, you can kind of see where it could be because everything, uh, when I did an episode on it, I called it the analog abduction because everything is very, there's no fantastical elements to it, really. It's just, there's a bunch of people that kidnapped a guy, brought him on board. He banged an alien and then he left. <laughs> and the thing is, is like, this guy went on to become a prominent lawyer <laughs> in Brazil. So, <laughs> The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Yeah, some other pretty cool notes. Uh, some that we've talked about a few times here. What's the correlation between a UFO and a Bigfoot? Man, there are some very weird cases out there of, you know, UFOs and, and Bigfoots. It, it, you, like, we call them anomalous Bigfoots. Mm. To a lot of the hardcore Bigfoot researchers, they don't want to talk about this stuff. They don't talk about it in their lectures, or if they do, they, like, dismiss it. It's like, oh, it's only a small amount of, of Bigfoot reports. And it's like, it doesn't matter. They're there. One of the earliest cases... I know when Scott and Forrest from Astonishing Legends were on, they kind of briefly mentioned this case, but it's an interesting one. So this guy, uh, W.C. Doc Priestley, he's driving behind a group of friends in a bus. And this Bigfoot tall creature just like steps out and it's got long hair and this hair is standing straight up. So it's not really characteristic of a Bigfoot. It's just up and, and all of a sudden his car dies. And he's just like sitting there. The bus drives off, but uh, Doc Priestley in his car is just sitting there. And eventually this, this creature runs off and his car starts up again. 
So he continues on his journey. A little ways down the road, you know, he catches up with his friends again. And his car dies again. And he looks over and he sees this Bigfoot and it's holding up its hair. So like it's holding up kind of its belly hair. And then drops the hair and his car starts up again. What the heck is that? <laughs> so like one of the wildest cases, because there's there are like a quite a few, and there's a correlation, there's a a flap in 73 and 74 particularly in in pennsylvania and we'll we'll talk about like the the year of the humanoids which was uh in 73 there's this guy ed, ed kowalczyk this is october 25th 1973 this is in pennsylvania he could see this weird light in back of his property so he takes a couple of uh siblings with him goes out sees what's going on in his this is far in his backyard. He sees this dome of light sitting on the ground and not far from it. He sees these two very tall looking figures, definitely Bigfoot. Like I think what's interesting is they, their arms were incredibly long, like almost down to their knees. And they're walking along this fence post and he picks up his gun and he decides he's going to shoot it. First bullet misses. Second one hits it. He said it didn't sound like, you know, something, you know, hitting flesh. He said it sounded like when you drop a stone into water that does that. One of these things lets out like a baby cry and then they take off into the woods. George Kowalczyk gets the cops up there. They kind of see like figures running into the woods and stuff like that. And eventually they call a um, Bigfoot research organization actually they were a ufo research organization that had been taking a lot of calls about bigfoot and the main investigator in that is a guy named stan gordon still doing it today stan's great they get out there there's just this flurry of activity and it culminates in this incident in which kowalczyk becomes possessed to a point where He's acting out irrationally. He's like saying things that uh, it's like the convergence of every kind of phenomenon that you could think of. So you have you get your Bigfoot to your UFOs. You kind of have this ghostly stuff going on with this possession. But eventually, like things calm down. But it's like if you talk to Stan about this, there's certain parts that he will not talk about because Mm. because they were so startling to him. Like if you talk about the possession aspect, he won't talk about it. But that's one of the prominent cases of that time period. But there were people reporting Bigfoot. There's one incident in which Bigfoot actually ripped out the wires of someone's electrical box. There's stories of Bigfoot being seen with like orbs of light in the woods uh, around this time period, too. It's just there are a lot of these cases if you go and, and, and look for them, but like, yeah, again, those, those traditional researchers try to avoid this stuff as much as possible. Yeah. Well, you, you hear about that, about kind of the connection between UFOs and Bigfoot, the fact that they haven't found any actual bodies in the woods, that they're interdimensional and that sort of a thing. So mm. from that aspect of it, there's a, a little bit of merit to it. Yeah. Uh, there, there is to an extent for sure. We traipsed around the woods all the time. People have encounters, you know, here and there, but it's like, I think we've traipsed around the woods long enough that maybe we should have gotten, you know, yeah. <laughs> some bones or something at some point. 
Our last few things here, you mentioned that you have some um, interesting tales about humanoids uh, masquerading themselves as humans, mm-hmm. which is very interesting to me. Tell us kind of what you know about that. So there's a great slim book out there. It's called uh, The Crypto Terrestrials. It's by a guy named Mac Tonys. Uh, this book was published posthumously um, back in the early 2010s. He talked to this woman. I think her name was Karen. He gave her a pseudonym in the book, but she had this story about how she was working in a convenience store and this woman came in to buy cigarettes and this convenience store is kind of like out of the way. So you need to drive up to it in order to gain access to it. But she didn't think anything of it. I mean, when you're working any kind of job like that, you're not really paying attention to anything. But when the woman came up and asked her for cigarettes, she first noticed something was off when she handed her the money and noticed that her hand was like a very pale color and she looked up at her and she could see that this woman for lack of a better descriptor looked like a gray alien wearing a wig wearing big glasses and buying a pack of cigarettes (laughs) (laughs) glasses didn't really do a great job of hiding her face there's a great sketch of it in the book by a guy named mike clellan who is a a ufo researcher in his own right and illustrator and stuff and you know, the way he draws is it's perfect, but like this woman hands her the cigarettes, pay, she pays for them. She has the money. <laughs> she uh, just walks out and she's like, I didn't see her leave in a car, so I don't know how she left, but UFO's got to pick you up somewhere or something <laughs> like that. But like, there are a handful of stories like this and there's actually one connected to communion. So it was about, I don't know, like maybe six months after communion had been published. Whitley's main publisher didn't want to touch the book at all because it was so like you expect us to, to believe, you know, that you've been on. Yeah. So bizarre at the time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This guy, he's in it. He's in the bookstore called Lomrats on Lexington Avenue in New York city. And he sees these two people over by communion flipping through the book. And they're like picking it apart. It's like, oh, it didn't happen like that. And oh, no, this isn't right. This is all wrong. And, and the, the publisher walks over to him and is like, hey, uh, I'm curious. What's wrong with the book? And he looks at him. And there are two gray aliens wearing trench coats and, and hats. And they're just flipping through the book. And that happened to Whitley? No, that happened to his publisher. <laughs> Just in this bookstore. So the guy doesn't freak out that there's aliens standing there with trench coats on? Oh, he was freaked out. He got the hell out of there the moment he saw him. He just like turned around and left. Like, so they are walking amongst us is what you're saying. Well, that's what maybe that's that's a possibility. Uh, like there are some people that say, oh, yeah, there's there's aliens walking among us and like point to these stories. But like you find a few of them. Every now and then, there's a woman named Prospera Munoz, who is Spanish, who uh, she was an abductee. She talked about how there was one day, uh, because her family owned a bar, looked over and basically saw two gray aliens wearing trench coats drinking. Just in the bar. (laughs) Again, that absurd element is just, uh, I love it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there is uh, there is uh, a lot of absurdity just to the whole situation. Anytime you talk about, you know, aliens and this sort of stuff. Yeah. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? 
Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Last few things. What is the year of the humanoid in 1973? What exactly is that? So in 73, there was a wave of humanoid sightings. There's about 70 of them reported, 55 of them were in the United States. And this also gets to the point that doesn't seem like extraterrestrials because they were all very different. There was one guy in, um, I think it was Mississippi, who reported seeing what looked like an anthropomorphic catfish. Cat, he had a catfish head and he had hands and he was doing stuff in a UFO. There's an interesting story from Albany, Ohio. This woman, she was coming home and she's pulling into her driveway. She sees what can best be described as kind of like your stereotypical pop culture ghost. Like it looked like something that was wearing a sheet just hovering in the air. And then it kind of passed in front of her car. She was terrified. She's like, I could feel a presence the entire time. So she waited for a roommate to come home in order to walk her inside. She was just too scared. So eventually does walks inside and then the roommate decides to go out and talk to uh, some neighbors thinking that they must have seen something. So the guy goes outside, leaves the door open while this woman is sitting on a couch. She notices this little figure kind of poke its head on the other side of the door to best describe this figure. They call him the little electric man. He looked like a, a small man made of electricity, just poked its head through the side just looking at her um there's another report from another part of ohio this woman gave herself the initials lm she lived in a trailer park got up early one morning because she had to get it and she was just thirsty she looks out the window and she sees what she calls an ape-like figure in a shield of light just wandering around looking at cars doing whatever but like these reports were numerous and they kept coming in from all over mostly the southern united states uh pennsylvania had its bigfoot ufo stuff new hampshire had kind of its own stuff there was a woman named lindia morell who was followed by this spherical object that had you could best describe it as um Lando's co-pilot in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He looked ex- he almost looked exactly like that. And she's like followed by this thing to the point where she thinks she's going to get abducted. She pulls into this one person's driveway, pounds on the door until they let her inside. She's that freaked out by it. But there were 55 reports in the United States and uh speaking to the abduction side of things, like during this time is when you have the famed Pascagoula abduction, Calvin Parker, Charles Hickson, it's it's it made national headlines at the time. But what's interesting is like again in in 73 you didn't have a lot of abduction reports coming out at one time. You would get like maybe one or two every couple of years. 1973 
there were six or seven abduction reports that came from a 17 day window of time, which is very strange. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. From like uh, about mid October to the end of October, uh, most of them in the Southern United States, but there was one guy named Dionisio Yanka in Argentina who was a truck driver and he was abducted by some human looking aliens. Like they looked a lot like the Travis Walton, like human like aliens they were wearing these skin tight suits that were blue and um, there was a woman who had long blonde hair if you had to describe them like the sketch of them they look like david spade with a larger forehead than he already has <laughs> the year of the humanoids is it was all condensed into a report that if you anybody who wants to go read it it's a wild report called uh, 1973 the year of the humanoids by a guy named david webb and it's kind of one of those cherished documents in like UFO literature. It's, it's just absolutely weird. <laughs> so last question for you. You've been doing your podcast for a while. Yeah. What is the, the, the scariest, shall we say, story that you've heard or uncovered over the last you know, few years since you started the show? So there's always been one story that has scared me since I was a kid. The way that I got into UFOs was through Unsolved Mysteries because, I mean, Robert Stack is terrifying in and of himself. (laughs) I wasn't sure if the man was like a ghost or like a zombie or something hosting that show. He was just like so stoic in the way that he did everything. But there's a story that was featured on there called The Allagash Abductions. My number one lesson to people, if you want to signal a UFO, don't signal SOS to a UFO. They're going to abduct you because it happens in so many abduction cases that I've read where people have a flashlight. They try to signal the thing and they go SOS. And I'm like, oh, your butt's getting picked up. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> These guys, Jim and Jack Wiener, Chuck Rack, Charlie Foltz, went into the wilderness of Maine. They went deep into it. They had to be flown in at certain points and they were basically kayaking most of the rivers to get to their campsites, but they eventually kind of break off from all the other people that they've been camping around with. And they go to this one spot during this particular leg of the trip, they decided to do some nighttime fishing because they just didn't have enough food to eat. So they go out and they see this object just like hovering over the trees nearby. And one of them has the bright idea. Oh, let's signal it with a flashlight. So they signal SOS. They get into this kind of, there's like this kind of chase sequence in their, at least that they're given. So they're desperately trying to race it to shore. But I'm like, it doesn't matter. They're going to get you anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, they're, they're desperately trying to get to shore. And in the next moment, they're no longer in the boat. They're standing on shore. Their fires died down. And they like lit this huge bonfire that should have been going for like hours. Bonfires out. And they're just standing there looking up at this UFO. So years later, one of the Wiener brothers goes to a UFO conference in which a guy named Ray Fowler is speaking at. And Ray Fowler is kind of, a, he'd been doing UFO and abduction research for like decades by this point. The, the freakiest element of this portion of the case is that um, the day that he uh, approached them and my connection to this case is it was my birthday in 1981. And I'm like, oh, wow. yeah, I'm not, yeah, I don't like that. But that was a couple of days ago. So we're still not that far from that territory. <laughs> so, yeah, May 6, 1981, they approached Ray Fowler like I've been having these weird dreams of like being on board a UFO, having stuff done. So. Ray Fowler gets in touch with all these guys. They start doing regressive hypnosis and they find 
they were all brought on board. They were all doing these medical experiments to them. But like the freakiest thing is if you Google the artwork, because all four of these guys were artists in their own right, they all had different styles. There's one particular image where like, it looks like photogenic guys and they're sitting on a bench and right next to them is this alien that is freaky as hell looking. And I remember seeing that when I was younger and just, I don't want anything to do with that. But when you read uh, the book that Ray Fowler wrote about this case, the aliens didn't really leave their lives. They kept coming back, kept coming back. They would visit them in their dreams to the point where they were basically telling them, don't talk about this stuff anymore. Just don't tell them about us anymore. And like, Oh God, it's mostly the artwork and the way that these aliens are, because like they're kind of halfway between your gray aliens and like, say something that's really more resembles a bug. Um, and just like the, the way that the face is sculptured, but, yeah, that's, that's one that has given me nightmares for years. <laughs> well, there's so many stories to tell here, Robin. It's been great talking to you with all these tales and uh, stuff definitely to make you think. Yes. Like I said, I think as a human race, we'd be pretty arrogant to think that we're the only living species in the entire galaxy. So I'm sure there's a lot more interesting stories and adventures to come. Oh, yeah, man. I've. I've got so many, like my brain is full of all these stories and they've got to go somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's our strange skies is the show. Rob Christofferson has been great having you on, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. It's been a huge honor.